Okay, well, we got a lot going on today. I don't know how I'm going to tie it all together here and keep it uh, relatively short. Um, you can tell by the tone of voice that I use in the gospel, I interpreted what's going on here, you know, through my tone of voice as Jesus um, being a little bit uh, sort of cocky funny with this woman, teasing her, joking with her. Okay, that's how I interpret the passage. I could be wrong, but that's how I see these, this exchange going, going on between Jesus and this, uh, and this woman. Um, you know, Jesus and, and the guys, they want to take a little vacation. You know what I mean? They want to get away for just a little bit. So they go to this kind of foreign territory. And once you know it, the, the woman chases them down, intrudes into their, into their clubhouse. You know what I mean? Breaks the party up. Okay? No. Uh, but today we do see this, this, uh, this theme of a dynamic, I think, between men and women. Of course, we have the famous passage, um, uh, the creation of, of Eve from the side of Adam. And uh, in this uh, in this passage here from Genesis, what we learn from you know, however you interpret this, more literally, more symbolically, whatever, that's an important question. But we leave that aside. We see the theme here uh, of Genesis um, chapter two, the creation of Eve from the side of Adam. It says uh, that took one of the ribs. Now, literally in Hebrew, it says basically took his took from his side. Okay, so probably a rib, but it's not exactly clear that that's precisely what the text is communicating to us. The emphasis, though, is that it was taken from the side. So the woman's not from the head. The woman wasn't taken from the foot. The woman was taken from the side. And the the lesson here is that men and women are meant to be uh, partners, okay, and to cooperate with each other. And in fact, it says, let us, uh, one translation, the famous kind of English translation, the, the King James is probably the one in my head, is this, um, let us make, uh, let us, and the woman was something like, was uh, make a, a woman fit for him or as a helpmeet or something like that. But I know that essentially what the Hebrew is saying is, uh, let us make a helper that corresponds to him. So there's this kind of correspondence, okay? And that's where, in our Catholic tradition, we talk about the complementarity of the sexes, Okay. So for two sex, for the two sexes to be complementary, it means that they both sort of fill in each other's gaps. They both need each other. And that, how important is that for men and for women to both understand that each one has a unique and necessary contribution to society, to family, to human relationships? It's really, really important. And I, today, so often, I really believe the message is that men don't have anything really unique and important to contribute to society or to the family. I really do believe that that's a very powerful message that's not said explicitly, but indirectly through popular culture and through education and through politics and whatnot. Um, so it's really important to know that uh, a, a man's worth is based, yes, definitely on you know what he's doing with his work and what he's doing to make the world to build it up and to make it a better place. But his worth is built so much upon his, uh, his status as a father, and even for men who don't have biological children. Uh, what they contribute to the next generation is so important and so essential. It, I mean, the sociological data is totally, totally clear. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming that family, single mothers raising kids on their own and there's no father in the picture is a disaster. For the kids. It's just an absolute disaster. 
So men really do have something uh, that only they can give and that is necessary, and women, of course, do uh, as well. Uh, you know, there's nothing that replaces the mother. Now, the problem, though, is that we have the entrance of sin into the world, and you've got this now, this conflict and this competition between men and women after sin. Okay, but we're looking at a at a sort of a pre-sin vision in Genesis chapter two, and it's really nice to kind of see that. Also, in our psalm, we're seeing the power of God's grace healing that wound of sin, and we're seeing the harmony between men and women uh, for the good of society being restored. In our psalms, it talks about the the wife being the fruitful vine, and it talks about um, the children around the table and how there's a blessing upon Jerusalem as a whole, so society as a whole is flourishing because the family um, is flourishing. And so that original blessing, you know, God created everything and and he blessed it, and he said, this is good. And then sin came into the world and kind of ruined stuff. But through God's grace that comes to us through Christ, that original intention of goodness and blessing can be restored, and we, st- we see that in the psalm in a beautiful way. I think the key for us as Christians, as Christian men and Christian women, is to emphasize that, that idea that, we, that both men and women have unique and necessary things to contribute, that they're complementary, that they're really not in competition with each other. Okay? If you ever feel like you've got to be in competition, you know, show up those men or put those women in their place or whatever it might be, you're really heading mentally down, down the wrong avenue. A man in general, I, I believe, should compete against his, himself. Okay? If he wants to find success with his life, he should compete against his laziness. He should compete against his, uh, his laziness by working hard. He should complete, compete against his stupidity by educating himself and learning and being, becoming knowledgeable in whatever field that he's uh, his competence is in and that he's dedicated himself to. Um, and so in general, there shouldn't be any competition. And so likewise, too, with, with women, they shouldn't try to compete with men as if, you know, the, the presence of men is a threat to our power and our happiness and so forth and so on. And so we got to prove ourselves and whatever they can do, we can do just as good or better, right? So this whole thing of competition, we really got to set it aside and, and realize that we're partners. We're here to work together. Of course, Today we've got uh, St. Valentine's Day, all right? And uh, there's a lot of legends around the saint, and that's why actually St. Cyril and Methodius, the church has decided to kind of have that feast day, and those saints sort of trump St. Valentine because there's a little bit of uh, kind of historical questions around uh, St. Valentine. But the legends surrounding him are very are very interesting. He uh, it said that in the 3rd century, uh, one of the Roman emperors, because... Uh, he saw marriage as taking away from um, the availability of the men to fight in his army. He outlawed marriage, and so then, and so Saint Valentine, who was a bishop or a priest in Rome at that time, uh, was took this heroic stance against that against the emperor for marriage, and so he was marrying uh, lovers in secret against the wishes of the emperor. And then when the emperor found out, he martyred. You know, he, he became a martyr. So St. Valentine is a martyr for marriage. He's a martyr for love. He's a, he's a martyr for this idea that men and women are, are meant to be in harmony uh, together. Uh, maybe one final way to kind of tie this in with St. Cyril and Methodius. You know, it takes so much to, um, from the point of view of a man or from the point of view of a woman, is to cross over into this other world and to try to learn how to speak the other person's language and to really try to, um, get out of yourself and say, 
uh, I want to understand and be in harmony and union with the opposite sex. Um, Saints Cyril and Methodius did that in a certain sense because they uh, went to the Slavic peoples and they went to a people they didn't understand, they didn't know, but they loved them and they knew that God's will is that the church would uh, flourish and encompass within its bosom all peoples. And so they went there and very bravely uh, they labored their whole lives learning a, a, an opposite language, or not an opposite, but a, a, you know, a foreign language. You know, and sometimes it is the case that men feel like I can't even speak the language of this wi- this woman, and the woman feels what's the language of the men, you know. And so we've got the Cyrillic alphabet that comes out of Saints Methodius and Cyril. Uh, the Cyrillic alphabet is taking the Slavic languages and translating it and putting it into um, the Western European uh, languages and alphabet that we are familiar with. Uh, so like Saints Cyril and Methodius, who had that courage and that love to cross over to understand the others, like Saint Valentine, who uh, had the courage to believe in the harmony of the sexes, and like what we see in our, in our scriptures today, um, let's uh, have that courage to understand that men and women are meant to be compatible, to work together uh, in, in harmony with one another for their good, for the good of all.